Major League Baseball. This is the Nosebleeds Podcast on WFUV Sports. Summer is here and so is another edition of Nosebleeds, WFUV's baseball podcast. Welcome and thank you for joining us. My name is Sam Davis here with my fellow Mets beat reporter Dylan Balsamo. We will have Ryan Gregware, one of our Yankees reporters, on a little bit later in the show. A three-man crew for today's episode. As we record, it is Monday, June 7th. The Mets find themselves three and a half games up in the NL East. When they take the field on Tuesday, it will be the 31st consecutive day they play a game in first place. The Mets salvage, of course, a series split with their victory on Sunday against the Padres. So, Dylan, I'm going to ask you, how are you feeling right now about this Mets team? Well, first off, Sam, excellent to see you as always. Uh, whether that be in, in the Mets universe or here on Nosebleeds or in, in any other medium or any other fashion for that matter. But, okay, so with the Mets, you know, it was a – I think a lot of people would look at the split of a four-game set and, and go, eh. But with a Padres team that is as good as, as they are, you got to be looking at that whole series as success in any kind of way. That's a split that you like. That's a good split. Jacob deGrom's on his game. Marcus Stroman is on his game. You're competing in those two games that you end up losing. It, it, was a, it was a good West Coast trip for the Mets. There were some tough points against the Diamondbacks, the game they blew in the, game they blew in the ninth inning and then again in, in the 10th. And, 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 you know, the game, you know, you have 14 hits, only score a couple, only win by a run. You know, that's not what you like to see. But uh, at the end of the day, you got to be feeling good about this Mets team, especially considering – um, the tools they're using to win games right now. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that, you know, normally a split is not exactly what you like to see or not always the greatest thing. But with this Padres team, especially on the road at their place, I think it's a huge, it's a huge split, to be honest, especially the way they did it. You know, losing the first two games in the way they did, I, I totally agree with you. They could have won probably all four of these games. They definitely, they were definitely in it. Um, late in the game and, and had a chance at least you could say to win all four of these games and that's huge because this Padres team is arguably one of the best in baseball right now I mean they're they're fun to watch they're exciting out there west coast baseball and the fact that um, winning back-to-back games uh, for the Mets on Saturday and Sunday were huge I mean obviously that's a ground game that's a game you kind of expect to win every time you take them out but Stroman is, is another guy that's been very consistent and you almost getting to that point too where a solid number two to the point where when he takes them on, you're very confident in your team. So I would say the fact that they were able to split, obviously not ideal to lose two games early on, but their rebounding and their ability to win those tough couple games in a row were huge. They also take care of business, obviously, against Arizona. That's big. They're not a great team at all. There's no secret there. The fact that they, you know, took two out of three from them, I'd say is very important, um, especially if you want to stay in first place like they are. But one thing I will say about this team is that um, when there were a lot of injuries uh, a couple weeks ago, you could see the Mets are starting to slowly get healthy now. Um, but a couple weeks ago, it was very hard to be optimistic, even when the Mets were in first place, just because of the fact that there were so many injuries. 
And guys like Lindor were not produced. You know, guys like McCann were not really produced. Um, everyday reliable starters that should be producing uh, in the lineup that were healthy throughout this whole injury bug weren't producing. But as of now, you're starting to see a little bit of a shift. Um, you're starting to see James McCann is really heating up. I think five of his six home runs are in the last two weeks alone. So, that, so that's a really good sign. Lindor is another huge one. Um, on Saturday, when he hit that big home run um, in the Jacob deGrom start on, on that game, um, a huge game. And just to show his emotion as he's rounding the bases, very excited. That was pure emotion because Lindor has been dying to get out of this, out of this slump. Every single press conference he's been in, he, he's very open about him saying, to everyone, I hate it. You know, I'm, I'm frustrated. I don't like to hear the boos. I, I, I obviously I'm not trying to play this poorly. I'm trying my hardest. I'm doing everything possible to try and get out of this slump. And just to see him, I think part of it is just relief and part of it is excitement to be hitting home runs and starting to produce in bigger games, especially this podcast series, which was a big series. So for me, that was just a really good sign to see him kind of start to, it seems like he's breaking out. Um, of that terrible slump he was in. And, and just in general, these these starters starting to produce more, like Lindor and McCann, like I mentioned. Um, obviously, bench guys, we talked about them a lot. They've been stepping up huge for this team. But you're starting to get guys back as well, which is big. So the combination of all that, and I mean, it makes for a lot of optimism with this next game, I would say. Well, on the topic of Lindor, this is something I've been saying a lot that I don't think is a part of the conversation of with him, especially when he was uh, at his worst statistically, mm-hmm. which is, you know, everyone's going to talk about something like moving to New York and how it's a whole different market. And it's, you know, the toughest market, as it notoriously has been called, to play any sport in, let alone, uh, let alone baseball. But also, this contract extension, it was, <laughs> I'm not the first to say it, that was a lot of money he got. Yes. Um, I cannot imagine the, the, the emotional impact, the mental impact, having that much money all of a sudden around you in your life must have on a person. That is, it, it, is, it is not something that I think can be totally put into words and therefore it's not taken into account enough when talking about why Lindor has struggled at the beginning of his time with the Mets. So, you know, that being said, he has held himself completely accountable in the press. You and I have seen that yep. game in and game out. Uh, he seems to have a very good sense of humor about himself. I love his smile. He's, he's, he's just yes. wonderful. He seems like a very wonderful presence to be around, and, and the way he interacts with his teammates very much seems like that. He seems like a very good teammate. So, you know, you look at guys like Lindor, and, and you look at guys like McCann. You know just by the morale of this team that eventually – they're going to produce. You can just you can just tell by the spirit of this team. Marcus Stroman specifically said it yesterday. This is said this is the best energy he's been around uh, as a as a member of a team. So you know you look at guys like Nimmo and Conforto and and McNeil and and you wonder when when are they coming back? When does McNeil come back? When does Nimmo come back? And we don't really know the answer to that yet. Mm-hmm. And that is usually something that will kill the spirit of a team. We've seen that time and time again in baseball. Uh, but with a team like this Mets team, that does not seem to be a problem for them. And that is why they continue to succeed in a division that has, in fairness, been quite weak this year. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. Um, going back to what you said on Lindor, yeah, that smile is everything. And 
when you that that was what played into uh how you know awesome that moment was with his home run on saturday and how excited he was because he's smiling and you could tell too his teammates are so excited for him to kind of start to break out of this because he is a very good teammate and you're never going to take that away from him no matter how bad um he was at times hitting the baseball he was still making plays defensively and he was still being a great team so so you can always say that and that's going to be valuable to a team even when he was definitely struggling um, and Pilar is another example. I mean, we didn't mention him. That's a huge morale boost for a team. Seeing a guy like that come back with the mask on, back in the outfield, it seems like it wasn't even a day since he got hit in the face. Um, back out there playing baseball and starting for this team, uh, that's another, certainly a morale booster uh, for this Mets team as well, something that really draws everybody together. That's one thing that I, I, I think I want to highlight most with this Mets team and, and and why it's so refreshing is just the team's attitude right now. Uh, they, they don't, they're not worried about McNeil, Conforto, Nimmo. Like you mentioned, they're not, most teams would be completely devastated at those injuries. Those are huge injuries. They're all starters. So the fact that they're able to continue to play baseball, continue to win games at a very high level, continue to lead the division and, and against good teams, you know, like the Padres. So the fact that they're able to put that all together, um, I think is huge. And, Having those starters that have been not injured but struggling and basically like they were a non-factor in the lineup, starting to hit better. You combine that with Alonzo's back, you know, Seth Lugo in the bullpen being back, that's big. And then Pilar I mentioned, you know, it's, it's, it's very easy right now to be optimistic about this team. They're in first place and they're only going to get better. Um, normally you would worry about McNeil. You'd worry about Conforto. You'd even worry about VR who um, – has had tough time with that hamstring, hasn't started yet. Um, that's a little bit of a worry, but you're not as worried just because of the fact that they're still winning ball games, they're still in first place, and, and the guys that you expected all year to produce are finally starting. Um, and, and I think that's that's huge. Just seeing a series uh, split with the Padres was big. We're going to see them uh, back at City Field this following weekend. That'll be another huge series. That'll be a three-game set against the Padres as well. Um, but a lot to look forward to, I think, for this Mets team um, as they start to slowly get healthy and these starters start to produce even more. Absolutely. And, you know, it's usually these types of injuries and, you know, I'm sure there was a there was a mentality in every person who follows this team when it happened. These types of injuries, especially a handful of them all at one time, can be season ending in terms of if you want to be competitive as a team, especially in a National League Eastern Division that as we said, to the credit of the other teams, was supposed to be better than this. Yes, much better. Uh, this was supposed to be a much more difficult first place for the Mets to grab than yes. it has been. But, you know, there's, there's something just about the way the Mets have worked as a system of baseball that, that has made the difference. It is not, they're not a team of players. They're, uh, they, they are a system that has players who do the jobs that need to be done. And you know eventually everyone's going to produce because you're playing every day and the mentality is high and, and, and the morale is there. And that's, and that's really what you need. And, you know, usually you, you can't bank on, you know, Oh, once these two players come back, all of our problems are solved. But when you look at what, what the Mets are missing and would hopefully eventually get back at some point in Conforto, in VR, in McNeil, in Nimmo, in, you know, maybe we'll get a, Hint of Noah Syndergaard this year, probably not at this point. Carrasco too, and uh, exactly, Cookie Carrasco is, is the other key ingredient here. There's, 
there's help on the way for a Mets team that doesn't look like they need it in terms of, you know, the win and loss column on, on paper, but definitely could use the extra enforcement at this point. Cause right now that extra enforcement is the starters. So once that comes together, um, it's, it's full speed ahead for this Mets team. Yeah. We mentioned, we've been talking for, you know, I don't know how long now, but about this Mets team and we haven't even really mentioned the pitching and we haven't even mentioned Jacob deGrom too much and how excellent he's been. We haven't really mentioned Stroman too much, how great he's been. Taiwan Walker, another guy. The pitching has been tremendous. The bats are starting to come alive. Guys are starting to get healthy. But like we said, there's not an immediate concern for, for them getting back tomorrow, um, which I think is huge for this Mets team. A lot to be excited about. They'll have two more games with the Baltimore Orioles before uh, they return home to City Field, like I said, next uh, this, this coming weekend as they take on the Padres. That'll be a big series. Me and Dylan are very excited. Uh, to cover those games. But that's enough optimism for one show. We have to shift over to the New York Yankees now. Uh, I'm going to bring in Ryan Gregware, one of our Yankees beat reporters. Uh, the Yankees suffered a series sweep at the hands of their bitter rival, the Boston Red Sox, in the Bronx this past weekend. Uh, that included a very tough extra inning loss on Sunday Night Baseball. So, Ryan, I'm going to ask you the complicated question, but the question that's on everybody's mind. What is the problem with this Yankees team right now? Yeah, it's funny, Sam. Um, last time I was on the show with you two weeks ago, they were coming off sweeping the White Sox. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were like nine games over 500. Things could look better. I talked to you about how like the panic button was completely green. I wasn't even close to pressing it. And since then, they're 3-10. and 10. They've fallen to fourth in the AL East. Six and a half back, you talked about that loss last night. It was brutal. I know there were bad calls, but at the same time, you got to hit with runners in scoring position. Seven hits through three innings. You need more than two runs. And it was just another predictable loss. But, yeah, what needs to go right for this team, it's simple. They're just not hitting. Like, the pitching is still there. I think they're third in the AL and ERA, 3.38. So, they're still pitching well. But the hitting has been so poor this year. They're 26th in average, 22nd in OPS, 27th in runs per game. And when you look at it, all year we've been saying we expect the hitting to come around. You know, it's the Yankees. All they do is a hit. We expect it to get better. It's still, it's still not better. I know that the season's 162 games. I know they have 100 games left on the schedule, but the hitting has to at some point wake up. And it's frustrating because Austin Meadows right now of the Rays has the most lefty home runs hitting Yankee Stadium this year. Like they've got no production from the left side of their plate. DJ LeMahieu, who obviously was a godsend for them the last two years, he has one extra base hit in the last month. So it is really frustrating when you look at this offense who, you know, the Bronx Bombers has been their nickname. They hit the ball out of the park. The thing with them is they were one through nine. They were going to come at you. Everyone was going to have good at-bats. It's just not the case anymore. And until you get back to that, your other holes are going to get exposed. Like the bullpen can only be so good for so long. And it is the reason they're above 500. But we've seen in the last two games on Saturday night, a game that I covered, the bullpen unraveled. Chad Green, who was reliable all year, gave up four runs in the eighth, cost them. Last night, they had a Domingo Herman leaves with a 3-1 lead, and the bullpen blows it there. So, you know, when you're not hitting, a lot of the other holes that necessarily aren't holes will come to fruition. Mm-hmm. They're also 0-17 when, you know, they give up five or more runs, which is the complete opposite of what you would expect because you expected this team to get into slugfest, right? You know, the pitching was the question mark, but you expected them to hit their ways to victory. And it's been the complete opposite so far. And until they turn around the bats, nothing is going to change. 
Ryan, I'm curious to get your thoughts on something, which is, you know, I think there was there was a lot of confidence specifically offensively for the Yankees this season. Specific, like, as you mentioned, as a one through nine through the lineup kind of thing. And I'll watch – I've watched a lot of Yankee games this year and, and thought to my – and watched and wondered to myself, what is the problem here? Because it's not really – it's not very tangible. I can't figure out what it is, although yeah. very clearly right in front of my face. Do you think – and perhaps this is a naive perspective, but do you think it's it was too much confidence going in and that has affected them psychologically? Yeah, it's an interesting point because I've seen like on, you know, social media, people will bring up how the last two years, like the 60-game season and now, they're only like eight games above 500. And obviously that's like an 120-game sample size. So surely since 2019, this hasn't been the same Yankees, right? People do kind of forget in 2020, they limped to the finish line big time. They were like four games over 500. And they got bounced in ALDS. So certainly I could see that aspect where you talk about it. And I also think with the deadening the balls, they're a team that's really hurt by it because they are a true kind of three-outcome team. You know, you just look at it. They are a walk, strikeout, home run team. And when you're lowering the home runs, which is what deadening the ball does, those home runs are into flyouts. And that's what's happened with the Yankees this year. And especially when you have one of their few guys that is kind of the table setter, right? Like it started – with DJ LeMahieu the last two years, MVP candidate the last two, when he has struggled the way he has, and for him struggling is like 260. But yeah. the difference from 340 and 20 homers to 260 with zero power at all is so huge on this lineup. And then when you have a guy like Voigt, who's out all year, I think that's another big issue because he led the AL, he led the MLB actually last year in home runs. And you've got nothing from this year. It's been a lost season so far. So I think that's definitely playing a factor. And you talked about, Dylan, the frustrating aspect, because when you're watching them, like, you can clearly see something is wrong. There is an immediate problem you can see, but it's hard to pinpoint exactly how you can flip that switch, right? Like, there's not one thing that needs to happen for them to go right. It's the guys that they have right now that kind of all need to flip a switch, and they need definitely some outside help because you can't be rolling with this team right now. And, yeah, so it's frustrating to see because, as you said, like, there's something wrong, and the Yankees – What's wrong is what has been right for so long. So that's where they kind of need to address these issues. Yeah, Ryan, I thought you brought up a great point in that the the lack of hitting exposes some of the other issues that should that we thought were going to be a lot bigger issues uh, with this team, especially the pitching. I mean, that that's where I like to, to focus because going into the year, obviously everyone was like, this is the hole with this team. Um, the offense is going to hit. The offense is going to figure it out is this pitching going to sustain? It seems like the pitching is doing a very great job. And that's where I want to, you know, maybe shed a little bit of, of positive light on this. I, I know obviously um, the, the far run eighth inning um, on the game Saturday was not a bright spot for this bullpen. And then of course, Sunday night as well, blowing a couple of leads, not ideal, but um, this offense just obviously really isn't cutting it um, at all. Uh, and, and that's really the bottom line with this team that the, the offense will bail, uh, should be able to bail the pitching staff out once in a while. It shouldn't be always on this pitching staff to go out and every single start give you two runs over six innings or one run over six innings or the bullpen to be shut down every single night. It doesn't always work like that. There's going to be times where the bullpen blows games and there's going to be times where starters don't pitch well, to be quite frank. So the fact that uh, this offense really hasn't bailed out uh, this pitching staff at all is is to me incredible that this Yankees team is honestly over 500. They're overachieving point. right now, which is the scary thing. And yeah. sorry to cut you off here, but 
what you're saying, it literally has not happened once, right? I just brought up their 0-17 when they give up more than five runs. They literally have not once been able to pick up a bad start. Even Saturday, what we're talking about, uh, Jameson Tyone, five shutout innings was spectacular, but the Yankees only gave him two runs of run support. And so when he got in some trouble in the sixth inning, he didn't have the luxury of sitting on a huge lead. You know, one bloop single and suddenly the tying run was on base. And that's kind of what happened when he unraveled in that sixth, he goes five and a third, three runs. And when your offense averages 3.7 a game, it's not going to cut it. So that's, what's been the issue. And that's, you know, you got to be able to pick up your starters, right? Like this team was in slugfest after slugfest the last and two years, 2019 for sure, 2020 also, and it literally has not happened one time this year, and it's such a strange thing that they are literally winless when they give up more than five runs. You know, Ryan, it's perhaps this is way too early to be thinking about this, but I think it's, it's time we start talking about it. You look at the Yankees earlier in the season, and like we keep talking about, what the conversation was was can this staff hold up, can this pitching staff hold up, come the trade deadline, are they going to need to go grab another arm to sustain themselves to October? I think that conversation has flipped, really, into wow. – uh, I, me personally, I think you need another infielder. You need an infielder that can hit here. Um, and, you know, I think there's a certain type of, uh, of calm that I ironically find quite alarming from Aaron Boone in press conferences where he'll go, things will pick up. This is incredibly, if I may use a fake word, very, very unsteinbrennian, if that makes any sense to have no sense of alarm whatsoever coming from the organization. It makes no sense to me. So let me ask you, is it too early to be thinking about making some kind of roster move? What is, what is the right move to try and fix this problem if it is not something internal? 100%. It, it can't be too early. You talk about that Boone thing. It's really interesting because I had that kind of circled in, and it's like it's, it's the same answers after every game. You know, the guys will get better. There was lots of good today, just some bad – and it gets frustrating to a certain point. Like, where is the urgency with this team? I understand, and it's a 162-game season, but you're getting swept by the Tigers, and in game three of that series, you're rolling out an opener. You know, where's the urgency to try to salvage a road trip? And then when you're heading back home after that, it's not there at all. And I don't think it can be too early to make a move. I know with the draft, there's like a weird stipulation. A lot of the teams don't want to make deals right before the draft, see what happens there. But the Yankees have to be aggressive if, if other teams are willing to take calls. Ken Rosenthal from MLB Network today had a report out that I wanted to bring up because he talked about how he doesn't see them going to get a guy because of luxury tax issues. And if that's the reason, it's absolutely unacceptable from the Yankees' perspective because you can't let that come in the way. It basically did this offseason when you kind of let Masahiro Tanaka walk out the door. You went cheap. You went two for one there. You traded on Avito, who's been really good for the Red Sox. He's, you know, pitched scoreless innings against them the last two nights to be able to sign some other guys, offload that salary. The luxury tax can't be in the way. You know, we've seen the Dodgers go out. They've broke out luxury tax and they're rewarded with the championship. So if they are not going to make a move, Dylan, because they clearly do, right? Like you look at this roster, you need a lefty bat. You talked about an infielder. Cattell Marte is a guy that I think is drawing a lot of interest. The Dimebacks have struggled. He has a really nice contract. It's like very controllable. So it makes a ton of sense from Ebby's perspective. He's a lefty, too. That addresses that issue. It couldn't make more sense. And if, if they're not going out and getting that guy because of his $7 million, like, you do, that's unacceptable for the New York Yankees. I don't want to, like, you talked about the Steinbrenner thing, you know, sit here and be like, oh, back in George's day, this would have never happened. But, frankly, I think it's true. I don't think that you'd be seeing the lack of urgency back then that they show now. The patience that they have with this roster, I want them to be aggressive. 
as a fan first, like I'll say it, you know, I'm obviously a Yankee fan. I want them to be aggressive. I don't think they can sit on this team. You got to get a guy, whether it is a Cattell Marte, you know, whether you just get flexible, you do something out of the ordinary. I think they have to do it because this team is lifeless right now. They're feeble. And if you keep rolling out the same guys every day and they're not performing, I think it'll wear on them. And you don't want them to start losing confidence in themselves. You know, I, I'm not inside the locker room, I'm not on the team. So I don't know if that's the case, but it has to get to a point where you're frustrated with the lack of offense. And when you're like four and four and Garrett Cole starts this year, which they are, right, they're not capitalizing there. It's got to wear on them at some point. So I do think they have to be wary. I think they have to be aggressive here because you can't punt this season. Like there's too much talent on this roster. Just spending too much money. They're in their primes now. They're not going to be in their primes forever. The championship window in this league, you know, you can't control when you have it. They do have it right now. They still have pieces on the roster that can win. So you can't punt on it. you got to go out and get people. It's just as simple as that. The fact that there is so much urgency about the trade deadline right now, yeah. um, I, I think says maybe a couple things. But the thing I think about is the fact that this division is a lot better than people initially thought. A lot better. I mean, I mean, this race team is, is, is certainly outperforming. Obviously, first place right now in the AL East. Boston Red Sox are certainly outperforming. I think going into this series, this Red Sox team proved that they're kind of here to stay. If this pitching continues to be decent, um, this lineup is really good, and they're going to continue to be a present, at least a thorn in the Yankees' side, I think, uh, going forward. And same with the Rays, who uh, is a team that always plays the Yankees tough historically. So, that's another team that I think is going to continue to fight with the Yankees. Whether or not the Yankees win the division is not my question here, but the fact that teams like the Rays and the Red Sox and even the Blue Jays maybe um, are going to hang around. Uh, and I think that's, that's going to be a theme. That this, this Yankees, it's no longer uh, the Yankees can coast through this division and win it easily. I think it's going to be a hard-fought division win if they are going to come out on top. And that might mean – they make a move at the deadline to help this offense because the Rays and the Red Sox, I think they're here to stay in this division. So that's something to look forward to as well. Ryan, uh, thank you so much uh, for being with us and on a little bit of a Yankees uh, perspective here. The Yankees will head out onto the road uh, for a nice long road trip. Maybe they can figure it out away from Yankee Stadium um, and get that offense going. Dylan, before we get out of here, there is some Major League Baseball news that we need to get to. Um, as you know, uh, as we all know here, this season has been focused on uh, terrible hitting, to be, to be quite frank, to be honest. Uh, very high strikeout rates. Hitters have been struggling. Pitchers have been dominating. And the league has decided to react. They've decided to create a plan um, to start checking pitchers for foreign substances randomly, uh, but often throughout the game. So uh, some estimate that there will be 8 to 10 checks per game, random checks of pitchers and a punishment would be 10 games without pay. Um, according to Buster only as well, uh, the plan could be implemented uh, within the coming weeks. So this might be something that we see pretty soon. Uh, so Dylan, I'm going to ask, do you like this rule? And, and do you think it's going to help improve uh, the hitters numbers this season? Look, I, I get it. I, I understand why baseball thinks this is something they need to address and that they, this is the way they think they need to address it. But to, to broaden the perspective here a little bit, baseball's real problem has never been about deadening the ball. Because the, here's the thing. Nobody's hitting this year 
meaning every game's a pitcher's duel, and these games are still more than three hours long. It's, that's the problem here. If you want to maintain a fan base for baseball in the coming really generation and a half as, 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 as the number of older fans b- begins to dwindle, uh, you're, you're going to have to make this game a, f- a faster event. And you know what's not going to be doing that? Having an umpire check a baseball with the closeness and intensity of with a Cumberbatch in Sherlock <laughs> for uh, multiple times a game. It's just like the, the baseball has made so many efforts in the last five years to try and make the game shorter. None of them have worked. And it just it, it feels like now they're just throwing in the towel in that perspective and going, oh, well, I guess we just want to – we just want to make sure these pitchers aren't cheating. Because for for one thing, if they've never noticed it before, and there there is nothing they're going to notice now. We all know the problem is they deaden the ball. They deaden the ball. I, I think that's something Major League Baseball is trying to cover up, not like cover up scandal, cover up, but more they 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 don't want to admit that the ball is different this year, and that's what's affected the offense. This is them almost trying to cover themselves up a little bit. So it, it, it really frustrates me. Yeah, I'll speak to the, the game length part. I mean, both of us have kind of a firsthand perspective uh, just going to baseball games often. You know, we'll, I'll go to a Jacob deGrom start, um, which theoretically should be the quickest game in the history of baseball, you know, um, with the way he pitches. So, um, and, and even those games, I'll get home late and be like, well, that game should have been a lot quicker, it seems like, with how dominant he was. It just doesn't make any sense. It was 2 nothing Mets, and uh, it's, it was still 2 hours and 45 minutes. It, it just it doesn't make any sense. You're right. And I think that was something they really focused on to get more fans involved and more fans to join the game, which I think is a good idea and is, and is a, um, just something that – Definitely was a problem that needed to be needed to be addressed because baseball games have gotten long, um, and if you're not a, and if you don't love the sport, if you aren't honestly obsessed with the sport, you might not want to watch a, a three-hour baseball game. You might not want to sit down on a nice summer day and watch baseball for three hours. Um, that's just kind of or, or even more three or four or five. And they've done so much, and then it comes to this with they've talked about how um, you know they're going to try and do the checks as as uh, routinely or as quickly as possible, they're going to check while the pitchers are walking off the mound. Uh, I don't know how that's going to work. I don't really understand how that's going to work. It's not like you can have the umpire go into the dugout and check him while the game's going on because he needs to, to sit behind all plate and call balls and strikes. So I don't get that aspect of it. But to that point, I do like I do like the rule because I think um, – in general, it will deter a decent amount of pitchers from doing it in the first place because I think there's no secret that a lot of pitchers are doing this. A lot of pitchers are involved in one way or another um, of, of doing something to help their, their spin rate or to help them strike more guys out or whatever it may be. Um, I, I think there's no secret that it's an issue. A lot of pitchers are doing it. And by maybe by implementing this rule, a lot of them will stop and then you could maybe ease back on some of the restrictions. But to me, the, the glaring thing is that uh, the, the pace of play is going to drastically, seems like decrease. Games are going to be longer. But um, from the perspective of stopping players from doing this, from using foreign substances, I like it. Um, just because I think a lot of pitchers do it. 
And I think it's definitely, maybe it's the, the reason why hitters are, are, are not performing. I, I don't know. I can't sit here and say it's going to be the reason. I don't even think Major League Baseball can do that, to be honest. We're just going to have to wait and see, I guess, with that. But I do like that. I, I guess the MLB is trying to improve what is a drastic problem, one of the, the biggest problems with the game right now. And the fact that the, that the pitching's up here and the hitting's down here. Um, so I think that's a drastic issue. At least the MLB is trying to address it. Absolutely. And, and I completely agree with your sentiment of if, if this will deter pitchers from doing it, then, then, then it's a great sentiment to have. Mm-hmm. I also think, like, you know, we talk about pace of play. That, that, that's an issue here. Uh, I would argue the most glaring issue. But another thing here is that the idea of checking the ball between every inning, I, I don't think is incredibly sustainable, mostly because of the average lifespan of a major league baseball. At this point, in, in not only an era of a, a lot of foul balls, because everyone's throwing 102 miles an hour, mm-hmm. but also just the fact that, you know, when you have fans at the ballpark, y- you want to give away the free memorabilia of, of – of of a foul ball and and we we see it a lot you know the league very much encourages give fans balls the average lifespan of a major league baseball last i looked was seven pitches at this point it might be less than that yeah at that rate it's going to be incredibly difficult to try and to try and catch someone in the act it's going to be very difficult because this is not a tom brady deflating the footballs before the afc championship game situation it's not it's not a parallel you know, this is this is something that needs to be a little more manual for for each pitcher, for if any pitcher were to be doing it. So, you know, that's something that needs to be taken into account. But I completely agree with you that, you know, you want to stop guys from doing this. Yeah. Um, have they figured out the right way to do it? No. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's going to be. I think it's going to be trial and error here. This is uncharted territory for Major League Baseball. Um, there's always been cheating in the game. There, it's always been there, um, which is why I think a lot of pitchers are actually doing this. And are actually, yeah. Because it, I feel like in baseball, it's just like there's always something that guys are trying to do to get a competitive advantage. So maybe this is the, this is the scapegoat. This is the next one that's the problem for the hitters. But I don't think it's that alone, which is why you got to really – question is it worth an extra 20 30 minutes of gameplay or game time um to crack down on this um and and help the hitters and kind of even things out is it really worth that i don't know to be honest uh, if it's a you know two and a half hour game versus a three hour game i don't know if, if it's quite worth it if it's even going to catch guys doing it uh, there's a whole lot of ifs in this scenario um but i will say the one thing is I do like the MLB, uh, Major League Baseball, taking the initiative and deciding this is a problem and something needs to be done. And instead of waiting till the end of the season when we're going to see historically low hitting numbers, let's try and do something now. Let's try and make things better, even out the game a little bit. Um, If they can find a way to do that while keeping pace of play decent, I would be surprised um, and I would be pleased, to be honest. Um, but I'm not so sure if that's going to happen. And I don't think you are, Dylan, either. But um, that's going to do it, I think, for our episode today. We got a lot a lot into uh, New York sports, of course, with the Mets and the Yankees. A lot of excitement, optimism around this Mets team in first place. Not so much about the Yankees, but it is a long season. 
This is why we don't turn off our, our TVs in May, in May or June and decide the playoffs are going to start tomorrow. They're not. There's a long way to go in this one, so we will see what happens with the MLB season. Always great catching up with you, Dylan, and thank you, Ryan, as well, uh, for being with us. I think that's going to do it. Thank you for listening. I'm Sam Davis, along with Dylan Balsamo and Ryan Gregware. This has been Nosebleed, a production of WFU.